Sisos that is the Sunni Muslim in Syria was oppressed and killed Syrian Shia. So that's why they want to travel to Syria in order to help the Sunni Muslim there. So she's spending her money, her saving, she used her saving to travel to Syria. But you know, if you see their house, I think she better use the money to renovate the house instead of traveling to Syria. Yes. <laughs> Because their poor family, you can imagine yeah, the propaganda of ISIS people, yeah, has already changing her thought, changing her view, and then motivated her to go travel to Syria using her own money. That's Siti Darajatul Alia, or Diti, to most of her friends and colleagues. She spends her time meeting with Indonesians who've been recruited into extremist organizations, most notably Jamaa Islamiyah and the Islamic State. She also speaks with their families to understand the impacts and the drivers of this kind of behavior. Now, you'll already have a sense of the personality, the determined but cheerful disposition that allows her to have these kinds of conversations in a space where very few others can. So there was a lot that I wanted to ask on this one. How do you get access to these people in perhaps the most politically charged and, and polarized space that one can imagine? What brings women into these groups? How has their role shifted over time? And most importantly, perhaps, what do they actually say? What do they say when we take them seriously and listen to what is really going on for them, their families, and their communities. This is One Step Forward. My name is Ian Quick. Let's get into it. So starting from the, starting from the beginning, if you are meeting um, a cousin, let's say, or someone at a wedding, how do you describe what you do for a living or you know, over the last few years? Working with an NGO, I think this is my faith, yeah? Yeah, because since I graduated from university, actually when I graduated from high school, I went to school. Uh, this is a kind of like informal school developed by an NGO. So this is actually the school that created to create an activist who have the concern on the community. So I was joined in that school. And then this is a time where I was, how to say, introduced with the activism world. So to be uh, introduced with the NGO for the first time. I was still in, uh, when I was still 18 and 19, 19 years old. So I was studied there in that school and this is really opening my eyes. And since then, I actually go to the formal education to Bogor University. So I changed uh, several times. Eh? I mean, I joined uh, uh, the, the first time, the names of the organizations is Pusat Peran Serta Masyarakat, and then I change to Lembaga Studi Agama dan Filsafat, and then I go as a UN volunteer. I went to, as a UN volunteer in Nepal for two years, and also engaged with NGO in there in, in how to say, in Nepal, in, in Nepalgans. So I engaged with the local NGOs there, and I assisted those uh, that NGO because this, uh, this NGO is relatively new and they don't uh, know yet how to run the NGO. After I return from Nepal, I go again, I work again in the NGO, International NGO Forum on Indonesian Development. 
So this is uh, the, uh, the in Indonesia is actually the branch office. The main office is in the Netherlands. And after uh, Infit, I work with donor agency of the Netherlands, the Netherlands donor agency, the Terrorism, working for children. And then at the same time, I built my own organization, consultancy organization for INDEF, for Indonesian development. After that, I continue my study in South Korea uh, for my master's degree. Then when I was almost finished, uh, my colleagues, uh, Norboda Ismail, called me to replace him in YPP, in Yaisan Prasasti Perdamaian, because he will continue his study, his doctoral study, yeah? <coughs> his doctoral degree in Australia, so he wants me to replace him. Terrorism issue is very, how to say, it's very new issue to me, and this is very masculine, masculinity issue, and I'm, I don't have experience yet, except to Huda. Okay, I will, I will uh, join you, but not as a director, but as a managing director, because if there is a boom, and they call me, and then they ask me for interview, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I think I better work as the managing director instead of the director because every, every time there is a boom, they call for the director. Uh, and during those days, when I was uh, just started uh, joining that organization, there is a wife of former terrorists who came to our office and asking for our help because she wants the husband to be uh, cut off from the network. She doesn't want the husband to, re to go back to the network because... She has to bear the consequences when the husband is detained. She has to be the breadwinner. She has to look after the family. She has to look after the children. And she has to look after the husband. Uh, also, it is a really uh, triple burden for her. So when the husband is released from prison and she doesn't want the husband to go back. So when I saw these women, I said, okay, so this is very interesting. Because in this jihadi circle, actually there is a woman who doesn't want the husband uh, to reunite or to go back to the network. So then I initiate to do the research uh, about the roles of women in jihadi circle, actually, in the jihadi circle. So I did the research. And during those research, actually, I met, because you cannot interview the wife with, uh, without the permission of the husband. So you have to, do, you have to talk to the husband first. <laughs> so then I talked to the husband. Uh, the husband is former uh, terrorist inmate, right? So the husband is jihadist. There are, many of them are actually Afghan alumni. You know Afghan alumni? Mm -hmm. What well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Afghan alumni? Those who, are, those who have been trained in Afghanistan. So they call it themselves as Afghan alumni. So then I met the husband. And then when they knew, because I have been in Afghanistan four times. Yeah? See if we come from the same place, yeah? although we do this different things. So that's why they are very open to me. Instead, they are more open to me than to the wife. Actually, before I interviewed the husband of the wife, actually, we visited some prisons because during I work with the YPP, YPP have a kind of like collaborations with the DGC, Department of Corrections. And then this, uh, during the, our work with the Department of Corrections, we often go to the prisons and meet former terrorist inmates. And I met the notorious terrorist inmate. And then I met him for the first time. I was so nervous. Uh, yeah. I was nervous. I and my friend, we are nervous. <laughs> we don't know what to talk. And we just stay still, uh, stand still, and don't know what to say. We don't know what to start. 
and then luckily there is an officer from correctional department who accompanied us so she's the one who break the the situation he said that ah you are very handsome are you really you are terrorist are you really sure you are terrorist you are too handsome to be terrorist <laughs> and then he left and then the situation is kind of like melted then we can really talk and then because he was trained in afghanistan yeah so i asked him uh, what do you think about taliban Do you think Taliban exists? That is first questions that that I asked him, and then he said, "Yes, of course it is exists. How could you know that this is exists? Because you weren't you weren't there when Taliban is uh, established. You left when the after years, and then Taliban's uh, established. So how do you know that Taliban is uh, is uh, real?" And then she was stunted. Uh, <laughs> he said that uh, you are politicians. Uh, you are not. You you really know well about politics. So then we discussed about political issues. So we didn't discuss about the religious issue. We didn't discuss about ideological issue. We discussed about a political issue. We discussed about Afghanistan issue because he was in Afghanistan and I was in Afghanistan. So we talk in the same language. So called, yeah. We can we can talk in the same language. I mean, he talked very frankly to me and openly to me. Even he expressed his dream, his will, his problem, his concern. The story, yeah. So we chat every day through WhatsApp, of course, and then we become a good friends. And then he introduced me to his family. So I came to his family, and then I talk uh, to the family. And both of us, actually, the family and I, we have the same concern. So that's why we and his family we are collaborate together to embrace him and to keep him from uh, going back to his network. Then this is the way. We work. I mean, we don't only work with the inmates uh, alone, but we also work through the family because the family is actually the import, important actor that can disengage those inmates from radical action. They are really open to me. They really, uh, frankly, talk to me about about everything, about business, about their life, about their family, about everything. So they treat me as part of their family. This is what is really worth for me. Yeah? So that's why this is the trust that we build with the family of those inmates. So this is not only him. Most of the terrorist inmates that we are accompanied, we also build a, a kind of like a close relationship. We be, we treat their family like our own family, and they also treat us like their own family. So if I need to check the the husband yeah, or the brothers, I can check through the family whether the husband. Approached by uh, their network or not, so I can check through the family. Once I discuss with, when I interview the wife of the Afghan alumni, and she was crying when she told me the story when the husband left her for training in Afghanistan. They just get married three months, and then the husband left for training in Afghanistan, and then she she was crying. And then I told to the husband because the husband there, so I said, Pa. Pak Minister, yeah? why don't you tell your wife that you want to go to Afghanistan? Why you keep the secret from her? Because you know she's the one who bear the consequences of your uh, your act, your what you are, what you're doing. And then she said, uh, he told me, yeah, because you know, woman is you uh, woman cannot keep the secret. If I told her and then talk to the others, then the mission is failed. So that's why I didn't talk. I said, oh, you are very bad. You <laughs> know. Approach you describe is quite different to uh, the way that police or corrections would approach 
the issues, I'm sure. Is it difficult to get access to these people? Do you get um, resistance from the side of the government? Do they understand this approach? Is it sort of easy working with uh, in this very political area? Or do you find that um, you have to do a lot of negotiating with you know, with police and with uh, intelligence services or whoever else? It's not easy, Jan. Actually, we are standing in the middle, right? Sometimes it's difficult from the jihadists, we call it jihadists, yeah? From the jihadist side, because they, the jihadists look us as the extensions of the government, as the armament of the government. And then the police itself look us as the friends of the terrorists. You need to do a maneuver to tell them that you are actually standing for nobody. Yeah. We, when we go to the jihadist side, we say that, okay, we know your problems. And then I think there is miscommunication between you and the government. So, okay, what is your grievances? So maybe we can bridge you. For example, they need your help for uh, financial support. So, uh, uh, because they, after they release, they need to, about to find a new job and then to build, uh, about, because they cannot find a job outside. So they need uh, you to, about to help them to build their business. So yeah, if they need money, so we support with money. If they need uh, access, we support them with access. If they need us to work with the, uh, the police on their problem, so we talk to the police. Yeah? We stand in the natural position. We try to bridge the two. Because they sometimes have a concern on, uh, their, they, they have a grievances like we do. I mean, like most Indonesians also do, but the problem is the the way we choose is different. For example, like when <clears throat> the former terrorists in me, they are actually have a grievances. They told they they told me that the government, that especially local government, doesn't really give them uh, how to say uh, attention. They doesn't give them a proper attention because they already want to reunite to the country. They want to go back as a naughty boy. They want to go back home, huh? but the problem. But the problem is their father doesn't really give them a good care. So this is the, uh, the analog. Yeah? So we talk to the government. We talk to the president's staff. So this is the problem of the former terrorists inmates. They have grievances and they want to talk to you. Do you want to listen to their grievances or not? And then they said, okay, why not? So, okay, okay. Then we set up a meeting. I said, okay, you talk. You said you have... Uh, things to share. This is the stuff of the president. So you can share to the stuff of the president. So you talk. So, But then sometimes the prison officer doubt on your approach. Yeah? So like yesterday, I experienced that. I said, you know, actually I already want to quit from this issue in 2016, I think. Yeah. When I went to the high security prison in Chilacap, in Sakambangan, in, in Central Java. Actually, I'm already gave up and I almost quit. Yeah. So when I met the prison officer, we exchange stories. We we open up and then we exchange the stories, our experience, our our hope, our sadness. Yeah, working in this issue. So then uh, he also gave up. Yeah. He as a prison officer, he also gave up working on this ter- uh, handling the terrorist inmates. Yeah. So we said, okay, then let's let's quit. <laughs> we talk, huh? let's quit from this uh, world. 
but then he asked me but then he asked me he said that uh, ma'am if you quit from this issue and who will help the wife and the children the wife and the children is the victim of their ideology the husband ideology then this is uh, actually the motivations that brought me back yeah? that's true if they are they were the victims but nowadays the landscape already changed yeah so now women also took part in radicalism movement so then i see our, uh, our neural so we are no longer uh, supporting the wife as the victims but we also have to disengage the women from radicalisms so that's why then i said okay this is now the cause yeah that's why i built the uh, surf indonesia mm-hmm. Uh, the landscape has changing. Women and children also involved in radicalism and violence extremism. So, after we went to Tunisia, actually the idea came from Tunisia. When the three of us, the founder, went to Tunisia, mothers there, families there, they can share uh, the story of their family who are recruited by radical groups. So we are very, very inspired to do the same thing. We through Surf Indonesia, we expected that the family can uh, open up, can talk openly, and then we work with women. Not only women, actually, we also working with the students, yeah, because we know that uh, university also a kind like a spot for recruitment of radicals, yeah, by radicals groups. So that's why we also working with the students in the university. We work together with HME, the Islamic Student Association. So, for example, we are. I was invited to the talk show, and then we are also doing with the childrens in the uh, children's gathering. So, I and the other colleagues in Surf Indonesia, we think we are. We divided the roles. Yeah, I will work with the women's issue. My friends Eka will work with the children's issue. Effie will work with the uh, children issue also together with Eka. So this is the way we divided our job, our roles, I mean our uh, responsibility, and then we try to educate community as much as possible on the dangers of radicalism and violent extremism. So the community itself aware and have the knowledge, and they know how to solve and how, they know how to deal with this. The sort of problems or grievances that you were describing, uh, they were mostly social or sort of local politics rather than the ideological aspect. And you, you said sort of near the beginning that you don't necessarily try to challenge the, the ideology, but rather focus on these more uh, practical, I guess, issues of family and the social environment. Uh, is that a correct summary? Is that, is that sort of the focus? Or do you get into the ideological aspects as well? So because like this, Ian, based on our discussion with uh, former terrorist inmates, yeah, because we did we discuss, we talked with the former terrorist inmates. So what is actually their problems? Yeah, I mean, what is the reason why you go to radical movement, yeah, to a violence extremism movement? So actually, it's not only because of the religious issue, not because they feel that Islam is being oppressed, but actually they are very frustrated with the practice of our government, our democracy so why they come up with the idea of caliphate why they come up with the idea of sharia islam it's because they are very frustrated to see the practice of governance in indonesia there are still injustice there are still unequal distribution of wealth 
So they're actually observing this. For example, yeah, this is a case, yeah, yeah. For one of, of the terrorist inmates, they got support from the community when they make the training in that village, the community protect them and the community even su supply the food, supply food for them. Why? Because the community already frustrated with the government. Because the community, their land was grabbing by the government. And these people, the ideological people, yeah, so-called terrorists, they come to them and they, 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 they listen to the voices of the people and they bring this issue. And then why they wanted to topple down the government? Because of this, yeah? because of the local issue, because of the injustice, because of the land grabbing, because of the natural resources like this. And then they absorb, they absorb the grievances from the community. And then they need to empower themselves with uh, military training. So that's why they need a place. So they get the support from the community because what? They are actually trying to represent what is the grievances in the grassroots level, right? So this is not always ideology. Sometimes, you know, sometimes in my opinion, yeah, they don't, if they are killed by the police, they don't want to kill useless, right? Of course, they want to mm -hmm. go to heaven. Yeah? <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven. So they use uh, religion as a legitimation, as a justification so that you are standing for the poor people. You are standing to stand for whatever. You are standing for the, to defend people. So if you die, you die in a, a good way because you are dying sahib. So this is actually the narrative, yeah? That is why... I raised the issue many times that the problems of terrorism is not always solved through security or ideological approach because it is not always ideology. This man in the, in the Banten, in the West Jaffa, yeah, the issue is about uh, uh, injustice. It's about land grabbing. It's about natural resources. It's about this. And then they came to the community and then they support the community and the community helped them. And then they actually fight for the community. Yeah, they try to do voice out this issue, but the government responded through security issues. Yeah, it is if you want, if you're really serious to solve this problem, please look at the root cause. Because I interview one of the uh, ulama. Yeah, this is the, the pesantren, the you know pesantren, the Islamic boarding school they're creating the, the in Central Jaffa. I said, why you came with the caliphate? What is what is wrong with democracy? I said, why you hate democracy? So what is wrong with democracy? He said, which part of democracy that you disagree with? And then he said, yeah, we disagree with uh, elections. Why? Because the elections, the bad people, you know, the election at that time, they used a fourth system, yeah? Not, not, not like now. Now we have direct system. When there is transitions between Habibi to Abdurrahman Wahid, we do the fourth system. So the parliament voting. To select the government, to select the president, right? And you know, the, in our parliament, there are so many bad people in the parliament. So, if we use vote system, the bad people, of course, will choose their friends, right? And then the bad people will leave this country. So this is what we disagree with the election at the time. So I said, okay. Uh, and then that is why we want to have the caliphate, because with the caliphate, everything will solve. If there is no poverty, there is no injustice, there is no unequal distribution, there is no this, this, this. this. All the problem will solved by the caliphate system and Sharia Islam. I said, okay, who do you think can be the caliphate? <laughs> that is my question to them. Huh? I said, okay, 
Do you have any uh, any candidate that you think can be the caliphate in this country? He said, not yet. I said, okay, why not yet? So you propose the caliphate system, but you don't have the person yet. So why you propose the idea? If you don't have, if you are not ready, you are still have premature contact. So if you talk to the former terrorists in Mexico, you can challenge them actually with their concept, with their idea, with their proposal. You still can challenge them. You talk to them, but don't have a prejudice beforehand. At the first place, don't have prejudice. This is the Jama Islamia group, yeah? not mm-hmm. the ISIS group. The ISIS group is very stubborn. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so if we deal, yeah, it's very stubborn. It's very difficult. Yeah? Uh, no opportunity yet because they consider me as an infidel. <laughs> so they don't want to talk to the infidel. Yeah? This is our challenge. Yeah? If I have the chance, I really want to talk to them. So your conclusion is right. So it's not always ideology. Sometimes there is a local uh, problems that raise up, and then this is actually that motivate them to go to this violence extremism because they are tired. Because I talk to them, I said when I talk to them, I said you know actually your problem and my problem the same. I also unhappy with the government. I also not happy with the government, but I choose this way, not using violent extremism. And you know what they said. Uh, you are too, we call it Bansi. Bansi, what is Bansi in English? Uh, lady boy. You are lady boy. <laughs> you are lady boy. Because, you know, we do this way because we want to make a very fast uh, change. I said, okay, let's argue whether you, what you did is already changed the situation. No, right? I said, so you and I, we are the same. <laughs> I said, you choose violence way in the, and it doesn't solve. The problem. I use this way, lobby and apa, lobby advocacy campaign. It also doesn't change the situation. This is actually, you can talk like that, Ian, to them. Yeah? I mean, when you're already close, when they already trust you, when they already feel comfortable with you. Ideally, for me, ideology later on. Because if they argue me with uh, ayah or Quran verses, I cannot answer them. Huh? Because even though I'm wearing fail, but I'm not a good Muslim. Huh? <laughs> I'm not really memorize all the Quran because yeah. it's so thick. I mean, the the difficulty is that the problems that you mentioned, well, corruption or poverty or uh, these sort of things at a local level, you know, they're not going anywhere, right? These are problems that are going to be around with us for the near future. <laughs> so how do how does one yeah. reorient them? and encourage sort of peaceful means of, uh, as you say, advocacy, activism, uh, when they wake up tomorrow, they're still going to see the same problems in the local environment. I know. The problem is always the same. Tomorrow you wake up in the morning, injustice is still there. Unequality is still there. So, yeah, that's why we have to go with caliphate. Okay, caliphate system, do you think this is the answer? Before, you know, the government during the new order regime, they don't want to collaborate. They don't want to listen to us. But then when the new order regime is already toppled down, we have a new government. The government wants people to listen. So now they want to listen. Can I ask you about the um, the women's uh, perspective on this? You mentioned sort of the attempt to recruit people from particular sort of occupations uh, who have, you know, skills or resources that are useful. 
How is that different for for women? Is the are the messages different? Are the kinds of uh, issues that they talk about different? Yeah, with the women, the, they are actually the same. Yeah, they use also political, social, cultural, economical issues. So they also use, of course, they use an ideological issue to legitimize to justify their actions. Yeah? So almost the same. The approach between uh, uh, to men and to women is almost the same. They are also motivated by the kind like hero, Islamic heroine during the Prophet Muhammad. The women also took part. The woman also has responsibility. I have the books yeah, from uh, his book, Tahrir, The Roles of Women in Establishing Caliphate. So... Oh, so they give this book to the HTI members, yeah. So that's why the women, uh, before the HTI was banned by the government, there are many HTI members are doing, uh, how to say, demonstrations, and the woman is standing in the front line. So I interview them. There are different different motives. For example, like the deportees I interview, she is trying to purify her Islam. And trying to purify her Islam, she follow what the Wahhabism uh, teaching. And Wahhabism, Wahhabism teaching is different with Islamic Indonesian teaching. Indonesian, you know, Indonesian Islam is already mixed with culture, yeah, with Indonesian culture. And Wahhabism is, of course, this is developed in Saudi Arabia. The the culture in Saudi Arabia is different with the, the culture in Indonesia. So everything which is uh, different from the Saudi cultures is they consider prohibited. In one of the Quran, there is a surah, uh, namely Yasin, surah Yasin, we call it. And then we used to recite this Quran. And then we organized that in the Friday sermon, like that. Yeah? And according to this girls, this is a bid'ah. Bid'ah means prohibited. So she doesn't feel comfortable again to live in that environment. So she decided to leave the place and to go to Syria. Because according to her, Syria is the Darul uh, Islam, the house of Islam. And Indonesia is the Darul of infidel, the house of infidel. So there is a different motivation of women. So there is another woman who looked at the, who she was brainwashed with the uh, understanding that Islam in the world is being oppressed by the uh, Jewish, yeah? And by the uh, Sunni, it was being oppressed by the Shia, uh, the Shia. So he shows, he shows that Islam, uh, the Sunni Muslim in Syria was oppressed and killed by the Syrian Shia. So that's why they want to travel to Syria in order to help the Sunni Muslim there. So she's spending her money, her savings, she used her saving to travel to Syria. But you know, if you see their house, I think she better use the money to renovate the house instead of traveling to Syria. Yeah. <laughs> because her house is their poor family. You can imagine yeah, the propaganda of ISIS people yeah, has already, how to say, uh, how to say, changing her thoughts, eh? changing her view, and then motivated her to go travel to Syria using her own money to travel and they, the two women, travel together yeah, to Syria. Well, instead, they are actually poor. You can imagine they can bring the Syria into their house. Eh? 
they bring Syria into their house, they bring Syria into their mind. Yeah, you can. This is really how powerful their propaganda. And those women are victim of propaganda, if I may say. Whatever uh, narrative the ISIS use, yeah, either the they use the blessing country, the welfare state like that, or uh, the children will live in prosperity. They are protected, or the justice, about the justice is upheld in Syria, like that. So this is all their propaganda, and the propaganda is very effective. I did research on the women before ISIS and after ISIS. Yeah, so the women in I before ISIS mostly they are the victims of the husband ideology. Although there are women who also playing the roles, uh, the significant roles. But the number is very small, and then they are only playing supporting role. But the ISIS opening the space for women to also participate, not only as a supporting role, but also playing as an actor, as a, a suicide bomber, as a financer, as a campaigner, as a recruiter, as a so many roles that this is over. So the women are uh, how to say? Uh, willing to join because they are, uh, can take part and can also participate equal to men. Their existence, they feel they have meaning because uh, not only them, Ian, me too, I many times there yeah, questioning my life. What, who am I? What am I? What is my, what is the meaning of my life? Do I have a meaning for myself, for my family, for my society? This is also happening to me. And what is happening to me, I, also, I think also happening to them. Meaning when you questioning your existence, your roles in life, yeah. For example, like the migrant workers that I interview who are who are uh, uh, intended to travel to Syria in her free time because she's working in Taiwan as a migrant worker, look after the elderly. She said that in my free time, you know, I just uh, don't know what to do, so I googling. And because I'm a Muslim, and then in Taiwan, you know, this is not Islamic country. You saw, sometimes you miss your religions, yeah? the, the ritual, the ceremonies that you often see in your country, which is not exist in Taiwan. So they sometimes surfing in the Google. They're trying to maintain their Islam while they are in the abroad. Yeah? So unfortunately, they met this group. Yeah? So they are... They are influenced by the propaganda of these groups, then they become, uh, they're recruited by those groups through social media. Two um, very high-profile cases of uh, women um, recruited in that fashion who uh, were plotting to blow up the, was the presidential palace, no? Something like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to build, blow up the presidential palace. They want to make a chemical bomb. See, actually, the mastermind. They organize the men. You can imagine. Eh? So this is the new role. So the role is not only in supporting, but this uh, ISIS, I mean, this new trend is already opening space for the women to also playing as a, a, an actor, a real a mastermind. I mean, the, the ideologue, the ideologue of violence extremism, eh? not the ideologue of the ideology of religion. Yeah? That is why very important for the women to respond to this because women can only be approached by women women cannot be approached by men actually there is one organization in indonesia working group women on countering violence extremism 
uh, instead of responding to the different roles of women, they are busy promoting their own, in their gender mainstreaming on PCTE, which is, I'm really blank, I'm really blind on it, yeah? I don't understand what is here. So this is not responding to the grassroots problem. They are playing in the policy level. So this is, uh, uh, this is now my problem, Sian, yeah? Uh, I mean, my concern, not my problem, my concern. My concern is that when I do the research, when I went to the field, to the hotbed of terrorism, to the city, which has become the hotbed of terrorism, recruitment is massive and very open. And we, as a civil society, why we are busy talking about WPS, why we are talking about the PCPA pillars, and then we're promoting this issue, while in the ground, it's actually, there is a problem. Okay, lah, that is their business, and I will do another business. Yeah. So this is my, <laughs> yeah, this is actually my disappointment. Huh? Yeah. Well, you, uh, you can't control what other people do, right? You've got to <laughs> focus yeah, on what, right, uh, right, what you can right. do. I am agree with you. That's why now I'm focused with, with, with about even though it is small things, we do the small things, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, you gave a you gave a few examples of that already, and and the point of the new organization you said was um, very much to focus on women and and youth in particular, uh, and engaging in that direct sense um, at sort of the grassroots. Is that right? Yeah, I'm engaging the grassroots. I prefer to work with the grassroots. Yeah? And my colleagues also in the same platform with me. We prefer to work in the grassroots. And let the people do the policy level, let other mm. people do. We will do the Is it hard to find women who are interested in, in doing this work? I mean, you, you started by saying that it's quite a sort of masculine space or a male-dominated space. Um, is it difficult to motivate people or to find people who are motivated to, to work on this? And not many actually women who are playing on the grassroots. Yeah? We call it hardcore issue. Yeah, Not many women who play in the hardcore issue. Few people who are really working with the hardcore, with the inmates, yeah? with those who are become the actors. It's only few people. Women, I can uh, count by one of my hands. Yeah? No need to have two hands. <laughs> in the province, yeah? I found some women who work directly with those people. But unfortunately, there is a gap between central and local. So this is, this is the gap. Actually, I'm playing with the central government, meaning the, I, direct, I deal directly with the, perfect, uh, the actors, the women's actors, directly but in the national level. But I haven't yet connected with the local level. Because when I met them, and they talked to me directly, and then they said that, uh, uh, ma'am, I, I work with this, I work with that. So I said, oh, good, you already work in the province, but how to connect this, yeah? Yeah. It's, un it's unusual, um, which is obviously why I wanted to, <laughs> to talk to you. Um, I imagine your family and, and friends sometimes might think you're a bit... Uh, <laughs> Even you know my boyfriend, yeah. He told me once when, when, when I mean, we just built our relationship, yeah. And then when I told him that I'm dealing with this issue, you know what he said to me? Can you change the subject? <laughs> is, it, is it not possible for you to change the subject? Maybe you can change another subject. Why don't you leave this issue? I said, no, 
this is the very interesting issue. I'm really, how to say, it is really passionate, and then I'm challenged, yeah, I'm challenged. Uh, I feel this is more excited word, yeah. And then he said, oh, no. <laughs> and then whenever I ask them, I say, okay, can you accompany me? I want to meet this uh, formal image. He said, no, you go alone, huh? He said, you go. I don't want to miss him. Okay, you do your job. I do my job. And then we supporting each other. I know you uh, You do this work and you know I'm doing this work. Okay, this is enough. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine, huh? My boyfriend said that to me. <laughs> this is masculine issue and then this is a dangerous issue, yeah? But because maybe I'm so strong, I'm so powerful, so he cannot. <laughs> he cannot, sure that's it, yeah. <laughs> he cannot express to me. <laughs> he cannot express that to me. So, yeah, it, so this is the my this is the uh, how to say this is a challenge for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you get a lot of uh, a lot of funny uh, funny questions from people. Listen, that, that's that's really good. It's already an hour and a half. Just a couple of quick ones. Um, I ask everybody I interview. Did you? Is there a book that you would recommend for anyone who's interested in this? Something you've read that was was very good or that you found very useful? There is a book out there, but this is in Bahasa Indonesia. This is made by uh, our uh, ambassador mm-hmm. before in Afghanistan. So he actually gets access to uh, to the Taliban group, so he can draw he draws from inside. Yeah, but unfortunately, this is in Bahasa. Oh, and it's really thick book. It's a really thick book. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't read Bahasa myself, but uh, maybe there's a translation. <laughs> this is very good because uh, Indonesians in Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban respect the Indonesians. Yeah, so they are very open and very com- uh, They are very, uh, they welcoming in uh, the Indonesians. So they can interview, they can get access, they can mingle with them easily. Yeah, the um, call quality has just dropped right at the end, which is not <laughs> not ideal, but uh, I think it's better to drop at the end than at the start, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, when I go to London, you are not there, huh? It's not clear, huh? I may have to travel for work, so I, I might be or not be. Let me know. Okay. And, uh, for now, thanks. That was super interesting. I will, um, I'll be in touch uh, in a week or so. Okay, I will. You are listening to One Step Forward. We are all about stories of working for social good in hard times and tough places. My name is Ian Quick. Thanks for listening. And just a quick reminder, this podcast thing only really works by word of mouth. So 